There we go. Let me ask you one rhetorical a first question there, Naomi, please. If, if God were one of us, how would he respond to facing the loss of a loved one? If God were one of us, like us, how would he respond, react, cope with facing a loved one? That's exactly the answer. Thank you very much. You can leave now. <laughs> but, but that is true. And this is the thing. See, how would God respond? Because we so often alienate God from being able to empathize with us, don't we? You know, what does he know? And yet, who is Jesus? And, and we, we sometimes forget this as Christians. Who is Jesus? God. He became a brother. He is God. What did he say to Philip? If you have seen the Father, you have seen me. And something we have to remember, that Jesus isn't a second-rate being, you know, like a spin-off of God, of deity. He is God. Remember Thomas's confession after the resurrection? My Lord and my God. You know, it's Jesus is God. So what we see in Jesus is what God would be like were he to walk our planet. And if we ever wonder, how would God cope? It's all right for him up there, isn't he? How would he cope if he lost someone dear to him well just look at Jesus and, and here's the thing like how dear how dear does anybody know this you, you may have picked it up in the reading how dear how close was Lazarus or Jesus to Lazarus anybody know it was in the early verses of 11 how close is Jesus to Lazarus we're told that he it's on the, it's on the scripture there Naomi thank you Lord, the one you love. Can you see say something about Jesus' relationship to Lazarus? That's distinct. You know, I, I know we like to think God just, I know God just, you know, relates to everyone the same. He doesn't actually. Jesus didn't relate to each of his disciples in exactly the same way. And to Lazarus and his family, Lord, the one you love is sick so how would god cope with bereavement with losing someone he loves dearly well let's see because god does when he walked our planet lose someone very dear and in fact before this loss let me just, just throw this out i'm going to use up all my time in my introduction if i'm not careful but jesus had lost the most dearest person in his life most commentators believe he had by this juncture we don't know how he grieved that one who, who was the dearest person that Jesus had lost most probably his father his father we don't we don't know we don't have a window into how he coped with that but we have a window into how he coped with losing Lazarus okay if you're not aware it's all it's almost certain that Joseph is gone by the time Jesus is in ministry, because he appears nowhere. It's his mother who comes looking for Jesus, not Joseph. And so here's the thing. So, so we can see how God will respond in bereavement. Here's the heading. And this is, sums up really what we're going to see together this morning. 
the wrath and sorrow of God. Which is what we're going to see. And it may surprise you that I've got that term in there. In seeing how is God going to respond to death? This is what we're going to see. We're going to see the wrath and sorrow of God. How does God respond to losing someone that he loves? We're going to see. And sorrow. Great sorrow. Let's look at these verses. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. So having made this profession of faith, it seems, Martha returns to her sister. She's back. So Martha's been out engaged with Jesus first. She now returns to her sister. And Jesus wants a private moment with her. And so she's arranging this private setup. Perhaps he, he just wants her by himself to speak to her. And so and now as she goes out to meet Jesus, notice what happens. The, the accompanying Jews follow. And listen, verse 31, when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, notice how quickly she got up and went out and followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn. You, I'm sure, you might not be aware, but who do you think this crowd is as following the sisters? Any idea? It may well be, but it's a surprising element there. Surprising. This is a different culture. They are said. These are, this is a bizarre concept. These are professional paid mourners. But whenever you had a funeral in that situation, even the poor family would have at least two flautists and a wailing woman. That's the minimum you would have. And their job was they were paid to, to accompany uh, the, the, the mourning party wherever they went and they'd be playing their flutes, and the wailer would be, seriously, crying out loudly. And in that context, in that environment, I know it's foreign to us, that provided some comfort. Now, Lazarus is a wealthy guy, and that's something that comes up through the chapter. He's a wealth, this is a wealthy family. So if a poor family had to have two flautists and a wailing woman, you can imagine that a family as wealthy as Lazarus's has got some kind of orchestra and choir. And so, so these are followers. This is a whole entourage following Mary and Martha, playing their instruments and wailing out loudly. Obviously, it was crocodile tears, but somehow that worked in that environment. And so that's what's going on. So here, this, this wealthy family with these professional mourners, they all follow her. Verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, 
Thanks, Theo. We'll just be a little more quiet, my cheers. Uh, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's a bigger story. We haven't gone into it today. But they asked for Jesus four days, more than four days earlier. Maybe we'll do it sometime. Jesus deliberately delayed. His delay resulted in the death. Okay? So that's a sermon for another day. And so, so look, here she is. You know, now they're grieving and confused, perhaps upset. Do you pick a tone of, 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 of mild anger at least? She's upset with Jesus. Look, Lord, if you'd been here, yeah, we called you. Where were you? What's taking you, Lord? If you'd come, you could have done something. Can you see, can you see the extent of the faith here? How far does Mary's faith go? Lord, if you'd been here, you could have done something. How far does their faith go? And it's reflective of our faith. Can you see it's somewhat narrow? Like, like, like Jesus had to be there? Or like he can't do anything now? Like, it's over now, isn't it? Can you see the, the restrictions of her faith? And yet, Jesus, in her in a bereavement, in, in her pain, he doesn't rebuke her. Jesus could rebuke people for lacking faith. Oh, you of little faith. He, he could say that, couldn't he? Uh, but, but this isn't the moment. And it reminds us, doesn't it, that, that there are moments when things should be said and moments when they shouldn't. And so, so he, he's, he's easy with her, gentle with her. And we see the, his response. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and trouble. Now this is where we get lost in translation. You know, I don't know how many languages people can speak here. Indonesian, no doubt. Uh, seems to be a famous, popular one here. Uh, uh, in Europe, German is the one that's quite common in England. Or French. Uh, uh, I, mean, I don't know why we don't learn Mandarin. It's, it's, it's the one of the you know, second most popular language in the world. You know, more than a billion people speak it. Uh, but anyway, you know, I'm not a politician. I don't, I don't organise these things. But look, the thing about languages is that you lose things in translation. You can't convey. And one of the things, the Bible has come to us in Hebrew, a little bit of Aramaic, uh, and a lot of Greek. Uh, and, and it's difficult in translation, you lose something. You know, and, and, and here, and here's what Greek scholars, you know, I know a little bit of Greek, uh, but this is what Greek scholars say. Here's the word used here for deeply moved. I think I got it up on the screen there, deeply moved. Here's the word, can you see this? It's embrimome, there's the word, okay? Greek word, there's a transliteration there. The translation into English isn't easy, even for scholars. But here's what one scholar has noticed and others have caught on since. This is what Carson writes, a prominent Greek, a Greek scholar, preacher, commentator, Bible college lecturer. This is what he says. What does the crucial word embrimome actually mean? In extra biblical Greek, that means widely used around, it can refer to the snorting of horses as applied to human beings. It invariably suggests, listen to this, anger, outrage, 
emotional indignation. Can you see? Jesus is moved primarily here, first of all, with sorrow. He is moved with anger, wrath, indignation. This is God angry. And so you've got to ask yourself, what's going on here? What is going on here? Why? Why is Jesus? You think he'd be mourning, but he's angry. Why? Who at? What at? Why is God exhibiting wrath at a moment of mourning? Look, let me, let me show you this. Genesis 1.31. God made the world. And it was good. And, and look, that's, talk about understatement. That is the biggest understatement you will read in the Bible, apart from uh, when God said he made the stars also. You know, like he made a couple of them. When he made trillions and trillions and trillions. Okay? This is another one of those. It, it wasn't good. It was perfect. Brilliant. Beautiful. Okay? Look, if I make something, I, I, I like, you know, I work with my hands, I love working with my hands, I make things, uh, trying to think, look, Sid made that thing there. Sid, the cross. How long would you have made that thing? If you had the ability, how long would you have made that cross to last? A couple of months? A couple of weeks? When you make something, how long would you make it to last? Yeah, I don't make things for them to break down. Who's here? What kind of idiot makes something for it to be destroyed? For it to break down and fatigue and, and, and be of no use? Nobody does. The reason the, the things that we make break down is because we have no control over it, do we? When God made the world good, how long do you think he made it to last? Forever. Forever. You know when you clean your car and it's all shiny and new and then you drive it somewhere up north, okay, right? You're pretty upset. Like, I clean that, okay? When God's creation is destroyed, ravaged, how do you think God feels? Absolutely. When Jesus rather God encounters what sin has done to his creation. Lazarus was designed to live forever. The people around him were to enjoy his company forever, but sinners ravaged that. And when Jesus sees the impact of what he's had, look, Romans 5 tells us that the death came through sin, and has spread to all of God's creation. It's a foreign agent. It's an infection. It's a contaminant. It destroys everything. And when Jesus saw what death had done, what was he seeing? He was seeing Mary weep because of destruction of something that he made to last forever. When he saw the impact it had, and we can imagine when Jesus witnessed the impact of Lazarus' death, he was feeling, experiencing the impact of every death that has occurred since Adam and Jesus was angry. 
of the impact. If Jesus were to come to our funeral service here, the first emotion that he would feel, it seems, is wrath. At what sin and death is doing to his creation. And now that, uh, we imagine Jesus was partially upset with Mary, Martha and the crew. They ought to have known, hadn't they? What Jesus can do. If you had been here, like Jesus needs to be there. And can we remember that? Jesus doesn't need to be here in bodily presence to do the miracle that we need, does he? And no doubt he, was, he would have been angry. And look, I know we have someone who works in the funeral department here. And the profiteering associated with death. It's become a business, hasn't it? And so Jesus is first and foremost indignant. Okay, but there's more. It doesn't end there. He says, where have you laid him? And this is probably more, more where have you laid him? You know, this is indignation coming out. Come and see, they say to him. And then verse 35, the shortest verse of the Bible. Here's, here's what we would expect. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse of the Bible. And yet perhaps one of the most powerful verses in all of the Bible. We said earlier, how would God respond if he lost someone close to him? Jesus wept. It's a powerful, powerful window into the impact of bereavement. Obviously, he wasn't weeping for Lazarus, was he? Because he was about to raise Lazarus to life. He was weeping because he saw the impact that death has. We lose people that we're used to seeing every day. Used to talking to every day. Eating with them. Conversing with them and enjoying life with. They go from our lives, and the reality is without making things sound worse, we won't see them again in this life. There's great pain. Jesus enters into that, and he feels it, he expresses this genuine, deep, heartfelt sorrow. Jesus wept. Look, I know we think of God sometimes as this angry being, aloof, distant, alienated. Friends, he's been where we are. He's walked our journey. He knows what it is to be bereaved. And Jesus, who is love, look at 1 John 4, 16, God is love. An attribute, a distinction of who God is, felt the deepest pain, entered into pain and suffering, along with all those who mourned. I think one of the things he tells us that when we face bereavement, we're not to be strong. 
That's nonsense. Don't be strong. Don't pull yourself together. It's natural. It's godly to mourn, to weep, to feel broken, to need space and time, to be alone, maybe, to be quiet. That's okay. It's okay. Uh, and we all express mourning and grief differently, don't we? No two people will be the same. We each exhibit emotions differently. However that works for you, it's okay. Jesus wept with all. And remember with God, he isn't happy at death. Whoever that death may be. Listen to this, Ezekiel 18. 32, I take no pleasure in death of anyone. Can we, can we, can we accept that? Understand that? God doesn't rejoice at death for anyone. He has no joy in death. He made us to live forever. He is the God who is love. And when God encountered death, there was wrath there was sorrow. I remember some years back, uh, a number of years now, 2009, when Michael Jackson died suddenly. There was a great memorial service. The whole world watched it. Uh, and then there was a lot of criticism. He had a lot of criticism as well as a lot of fans in there. Uh, it comes with being in the spotlight. Um, but I remember at the time, the press particularly, critical of many things in his life. And then his daughter, Paris Jackson, got up at the service. I don't know if you guys watched it. And said these words, they're really powerful. I just want to say, ever since I was born, Daddy has been the best father you could ever imagine. And I just want to say, I love him so much. That beautiful words from this little girl. You know, he shot up all the critics. You know, there's a moment to shut up, isn't there? There's a moment to grieve. And here we see Jesus showing us, if you like, how we respond to this great, great loss. And so there's to be sorrow. There's perhaps to be some indignation. And we're not to go around being angrier, for sure. But I think... It's natural that we may sense some anger. And it's not anger to be steered or directed at God. And this is the issue here. Is that we feel so well, oh, we, we, let's blame him. It's his fault. It's him. He seems the easiest and biggest scapegoat for us, doesn't he? No, Jesus demonstrates for us our anger is to be at death itself. And the root cause of death is sin. God made everything beautiful. Genesis 1, 27, 28. He made everything beautiful. It isn't natural that we die. It's unnatural. It's a lie. They're lying to you out there. 
and at almost every funeral service, we're made to believe this nonsense that is natural. It's absolutely unnatural. It's a pervasion of all that we're meant to be. You are an eternal creature. You are designed to age, to feel fatigue, or to die. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. You're not indignation. It won't be like that always. Listen to this. Revelation 20. We haven't got time to deal with it today, but Jesus says these words through his apostle. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And John 11, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Two things. A, there will be a resurrection. And at that moment, which means our bodies will be raised to life, at that moment, death will cease to be. Then we'll see how natural death is. When death is apprehended and when death is brought to an end, death will no longer plague God's people. There will no longer be funerals. There will be no longer mourners or wailers. This is the hope we have, that one day death itself will be triumphed, will be subdued, will be brought to an end. So here's, here's how things work. Our dear brother has gone to be with Jesus in his kingdom. This is what we're told in 2 Corinthians 5. We are confident of this. I say I would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. There's some confusion about this whole thing. So let me just try and give you some perspective. When a person dies, we see the same in Luke 23, 43. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, Today you will be with me in paradise. So 2 Corinthians 5. If you can just, just keep those up for me. Thank you, Naomi. I would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So look, I'm going to simplify what, what seems to confuse people. The moment a believer closes or breathes their last, we're away from the body. Where are we at the very next moment, says the word of God? We're away from the body and at home with the Lord. Jesus says to the thief on the cross who came to faith, Today you will be with me in paradise. A moment a believer breathes his last. He goes home. Home. He's not in sleep. He's home. He's with Jesus. In Jesus' presence. In paradise. In a new world. In a room where the best part, you see, when we die, all that's taking place is that the, the, the outside, the shell, the carrier, the transport, if you like, uh, uh, separates from us. And the reality, the real you, the person you see in the mirror, George, that person we all love dearly, is transported to Jesus. And so what Revelation is telling us, and what Jesus is saying here, he who believes in me will live even though he dies, and Thessalonians, the image he's giving us is that at the end of time, Jesus comes back with all who have died in the Lord, and what does he do at that moment? This is, this is the chronology, if you like. When he comes back with all that have died with the Lord, all those who are with him, with George and with everybody else, perhaps even us, depending on when he returns, when Jesus returns with the entourage of all who have died in the Lord, who have been with him in his presence, 
He returns to our planet. And what does he do at that moment? He, with the trumpet call of God, he resurrects bodies. He resurrects George and myself, if I'm gone by that time, and yourself. And he reunites body and soul. And so at that moment, the earth is restored. And in physical bodies, with our souls reconstituted in resurrection bodies, we descend to live and exist and dwell on a new planet. A new heaven and new earth. And live a physical life once again. So we're absent from the body, present with Jesus. Home. Home. And then finally, when Jesus returns, he resurrects our body, reunites our souls to them, rejuvenates our world, and we live in perfect, a perfect earth forever. That's our future. That's George's future. That's the future of all who believe and love the Lord Jesus Christ. How does Jesus encounter or respond to the loss of someone he loved dearly? Anger at death? Mourning at loss. And he leaves us with hope. So go today. Let's mourn and let us rejoice. Our brother is home. And our brother, brother's body, that frail body, and he was frail, that frail body will be resurrected. It will be glorious. It will be the George that some of you knew. I didn't know that George. It will be the youthful George, the bouncy, springy, vital, living, healthy, well George in his brand new reconstituted body. <laughs> Better than that one. And he will live in that body on this planet with you and I. Reminiscing. Reminiscing. And enjoying eternal life. That's the hope we have. That's our hope. Amen.